Good morning. Good morning. So I wanted to um, keep the talk simple this morning. Uh, and uh, remind myself, as well as uh, all of us, some of the basics of the practice. And, um, and I really don't want to stimulate the head too much. So um, I'm going to see if I can speak in a way that keeps myself in my body and all of you in your bodies a little bit. And that was really what I wanted to talk about today. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about this idea um, of uh, a collective nervous system. This cultural soma, we've been talking about um, collective karma, unwholesome and wholesome collective karma. And uh, this person, Tada Hozumi, talked about this collective nervous system, that there is this way that all of the karma, which makes sense, it's kind of in line with Buddhist teachings, that, um, that the karma is found in our bodies, and it gets metabolized through our bodies. So um, from the collective perspective, which is no different than the individual perspective, but we're I'm sorting it out that way, that there are these um, wholesome and unwholesome collective influences. So these unwholesome collective influences, uh, I'm a visual person, so I just imagine them up and out there. <laughs> but they're, they're, if I, it's more um, appropriate to say they're, they're intertwined through every energetic cell in our bodies and in the atmosphere uh, that we swim in. And the unwholesome collective influences we all know about, we talk about here all the time. And um, we're experiencing them. And we're also experiencing and practicing in the, and, um, and gathering together uh, wholesome karmic influences. <clears throat> and so they're both affecting us all the time and leading us in different directions. And so we have this kind of vast perspective, and the way it manifests is in the very minute, intimate particulars of a breath, of a posture in our bodies, of a moment between two people, I was thinking about this yesterday, and I looked out the window um, to this tree right outside my window. I'm so blessed to have a big tree outside my window. And um, there was this little bird, and I, my, my heart just was like gladdened. I saw this little bird. And then right above it, I saw this, these tendrils of this blue plastic bag, you know, the ones that get caught up in. <laughs> and I was just like, ugh. You know? <laughs> There it was, together, um, not separated out, living together. Um, and this is how it always is. So the, uh, in the Yogacara, they talk about how the, and we've been talking about the fruits of the karma live in the body. 
they're kind of in there and, and they pop up and affect us. So we have these um, habits of body and mind that are habit patterns that cause a lot of reactivity. And uh, again, if I imagine it from this collective nervous system, it's like uh, agitation or uh, a lot of uh, energy that is um, too much almost for us to handle. So our bodies tighten around it. Or it's a great um, uh, despair or sadness that we can't quite metabolize, metabolize so it lives in our cells or we, cut, we shut our bodies down. And then we have these beautiful um, gifts from all sorts of places, from all sorts of beings that offer us some way of working with it that tr- can transform it. And this is what our path is. This is what the Bodhisattva path is. How do we take these collective energies we're swimming in that are just so traumatic? Um, This morning, I don't know why I did this. It was not a good thing to do during a day of retreat. (laughs) But informative, I I opened up um, a new site, and I saw something. I'm not going to share it with you. It was uh, devastating. right there. Heartbreak, anger, rage, despair. Just one image on the front page. So um, I'm grateful for the practice. So this practice, and luckily because I had this beautiful, lovely energy from the tree and the bird, and my dogs, and the practice, and my breath, I just um, opened. I was able to kind of stay, stay stable within the midst of that moment. And this is like my big, this is all I think about really in practice most of the time in a very practical way. How do I, how is the viscera, how is my viscera doing? You know, what's going on in a particular moment where I am not able to um, meet the in- intensity, the intimacy of uh, all of this um, life. And um, how do I f- return home? How do I find my way back so I can respond in a, in a way that um, is clarifying and liberating? So this is what we're doing here. This is our work. And I thought, well, how do we create a bodhisattva nervous system? (laughs) What would that look like? And um, we need to do this because if we we don't develop a capacity to be with these movements of our body and mind in response to things that have happened to us, that have happened to others, that affect us, um, to sit in the midst of places where we have caused harm, and, and allow ourselves to stabilize in that, we will not be able to do this great um, work that we want to do. 
So I can't support the healing of others. I can't be with the healing of others if my body just goes haywire. (laughs) And sometimes going haywire haywire might just mean I'm going to go take it all up to my head. I'm going to like distance and analyze and look at it, which there's nothing wrong with that. But we live there. And when it's defensive, we're actually not meeting that suffering so well. And uh, one of the things I thought about when I, I thought about today's sit is I, I, what helps me to be able to do that? And um, so I said, well, how, do I, how do we design a, a retreat around ease and calm and joy? Because <laughs> uh, that's part of, I think, allowing us to relax, move out of this hypervigilance, hyperarousal, or this hypoarousal. I'll keep using the the language of of neuroscience, um, to be in this zone, this bodhisattva zone of um, openness, clear seeing, tenderness, resilience, responsiveness. And I feel very, I, I really enjoy us looking at it from this perspective because one of the ways that I find it easier to um, navigate this world is to think that this stuff is not just mine. We talk about this all the time. You know, in in this um, indigenous work we're doing, this is not just mine. Our our bodies and our histories are coming through us. They're not just mine, starting with the birth of me and ending with the death of me. It's not personal. So we're carrying the histories of our peoples, of our societies, and that also works in a really lovely way too because we're also carrying all of the support and wisdom of all the beings seen and unseen with us and of these wisdom traditions. And that we're also deeply affected in a positive way by, and by very beautiful forces in the world, you know? And very impactful, you know, if we're open, uh, really a kind gesture can just break us open. And we can be moved and inspired by um, the energies of other people doing very lovely, quiet, or very heroic actions. So I wanted to share with you, uh, um, to go back to to the very early teachings of the Buddha, You know, in Zen, we talk about us being a finishing school. So I wanted to go back and just um, start from, not the beginning, (laughs) but but the time of the Buddha. So I wanted to share this story, which was a kind of a lovely, um, when I first read it, you know, when I used to read these teachings, I always, I, I found them to be dry when I first started reading them. And obvious, this is so obvious. So arrogant of me. I just didn't see clearly. And, um, and now I'm kind of appreciating them in a whole other way because I see them not just as a, like, a, like the, the setup for the instruction, but the whole setup is part of the teaching too. So this is a, um, a translation by Tanisara Bhikkhu of the Anapanasati Sutta, which is the Mindfulness of Breathing Sutta. So I want to set it up for you, the story of it. And here's how it begins. 
I have heard that on one occasion the Blessed One was staying at Savati in the Eastern Monastery, the palace of Megara's mother, together with many well-known elder disciples. On that occasion, the elder monks, and then they name all the disciples, on that occasion, the elder monks were teaching and instructing. Some elder monks were teaching and instructing 10 monks, some were teaching and instructing 20 monks, some 30, 40. And then, um, and then uh, on that occasion, the Uposatha day of the 15th, the full moon night of the Paravana ceremony, which is an atonement ceremony at the end of a three-month period of sitting, the Blessed One was seated, seated in the open air, surrounded by the community of monks. Now, I got this far, and I, I, I was kind of imagining this scene, and then I, I, was, I was thinking, where are the nuns, you know? <laughs> so um, now there's a problem here for me. <laughs> and it's just a, it's just a acknowledgment, right? that there's a, this beautiful group of monks seated in front of the Buddha getting to hear this wonderful teaching from the Buddha after three months of sitting. But then I was um, happily consoled by um, this, uh, this information I just learned uh, from our Sacred Feminine webs- um, discussion list. So Jessica, who I don't know if it's Jessica's not here. Um, she was talking about a retreat just that just happened, and there was a book called The Stars at Dawn, written by Wendy Garling, and, um, she, which is a book about the early Buddhists um, and the early female Buddhists. Anyway, she explained that um, this time of the Buddha was also a time that um, was being impacted, that there was this indigenous tribal matriarchal culture around at that time. And that in this culture, there's this um, understanding of these um, yakshi, Y-A-K-S-H-I-S, yakshis, which are these feminine guardian spirits that inhabit the natural world. So they're often associated with trees. And in this teaching that she gives, she says that the um, that at pivotal pivotal events um, of the Buddha, you know. when Buddha's wife died and, at, at, I mean, Buddha's mom died and at various other events, the impact of the trees were there, that the trees actually came to life, maybe transformed, transformed into a female goddess, or they just, the tree just got animated and was part of the scene. So as I'm sitting here imagining the monks getting the instruction, I'm imagining these female goddess trees also there. Um, adding their spirit and maybe, maybe again, just to have fun, like imagining them taking that teaching and bringing it over t- through the, through the uh, fungi of the network of the trees, <laughs> bringing it over to the other uh, clearing where the, where the nuns were sitting after their, after their three months. So anyway. And uh, I'm saying this not just... Um, to point to something which is, um, can we open up our, our minds and our hearts to these invisible forces? And um, recognizing that they're also at play, they're also teaching all the time. Perhaps it's 
some people who didn't get to hear these teachings are just getting the teachings directly transmitted through the trees. They are just teaching about breath through the trees, that the, watching the trees breathe. So the, um, the Buddha says, kind of goes to, and just kind of applauds the, applauds the um, monks. I am content with this practice, he says. I am content at heart with this practice. And he's so content and happy and inspired by these monks practicing that he said he will remain for another month with these monks through the white water lily month, the fourth month of the rains. So then the monks got super excited. Wow, the Buddha is so happy with our practice. Let's practice more and let's practice harder. And then they did. They just practiced more intensely. And then on the um, month later, on that full moon night of the white water lily, he came back and he surveyed the community of monks and he said, monks, this assembly is free from idle chatter, devoid of idle chatter, and is established of pure heartwood. So heartwood is that inside of the tree. It's actually not living part of the tree. It's the older, non-living part of the tree that is actually the strength of the tree. So that's another beautiful uh, metaphor for what provides us with strength. You know, the, 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 the ancestry of the tree. <laughs> Such is this community of monks, this sort of assembly that is worthy of gifts, worthy of hospitality, worthy of offerings, worthy of respect, an incomparable field of merit for the world. Such is this community of monks. Such is this assembly. This sort of assembly to which a small gift when given becomes great, and a great gift greater. Such is this community of monks. This sort of assembly that is rare to see in the world. This sort of assembly that it would be worth traveling for leagues, taking along provisions in order to see. I appreciate how uh, passionate and enthusiastic he did not hold back his um, admiration. And, um, and I understand this feeling. And I don't think it is such a stretch. You know, in the chant, Buddhas and ancestors of the past were as we, we in the future will be Buddhas and ancestors. And on a day like today, the sun is shining and um, it's beautiful out, and all of you have come to gather together and support each other in practicing. No different than that community of monks. And I walk in this morning, and I see monks, and of monks of all, all kinds of monks, um, folding washcloths, sorting tea, cooking the meal, getting the schedule together, ringing the bells, right? That we can take um, refuge and feel the wholesomeness of this sincerity to sit here for seven hours and work with our body, get our body um, in shape, 
you know, work with the arisings of the fruits of our karma that come up. This is, um, this is uh, what we're doing here. So I say that because we actually want to keep looking at and finding inspiration in our practice. And sometimes I think, you know, um, the inspiration doesn't really come from here so much, you know. I do my little part, but really there's inspiration all around us if we just look. And a day like today is such a, is a, a quiet day to feel into and look at the ways we are getting supported in our life. In these simple acts that can really be very profoundly impactful. So the Buddha then begins to celebrate all the different levels of where the monks are, you know, those who, I, I guess, you know, seen through everything and <laughs> way, 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 way into Buddha land and going down, 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 and, and then down to the Buddhas who are, um, he says it, in this community of monks, there are monks who remain devoted to mindfulness of in and out breath. Mindfulness of in and out breathing, when developed and pursued, is of great fruit, of great benefit. How is it of great benefit? So this is where I want to talk about um, this practice and how it might work with collective karma. Because it is through the breath that we begin to enter into the body and collect the body and mind so that we can be with what's happening. So the breath practice is very basic, but we can never forget about it. And um, it is such a, it is the anchor, and it's an anchor because it establishes mindfulness. We use it as an anchor to gather the mind. But when we do that, what we often do is when we meet our breath, we meet our dysregulated nervous system. Right? So we meet the histories of our karma right in that breath. And, um, you know, shallow breathing happens, or we hold our breath, we breathe shallowly. And it's a result of these collective painful influences that we've had in our lives. So the breath um, gets uh, shallow when we have, we're under stress, when we perceive some fight-flight instincts that are in our minds, that are in our bodies. And they can be very uh, subtle or they can be quite um, intense. And uh, this, ner- this nervous system, the shallow breathing, it's kind of functional. That it's a way we kind of stay alert in case there's going to be um, some kind of attack. And even if there is no attack, hopefully the the Zen center and the way people are practicing together does not cause harm. It does not matter. We're bringing in those experiences and those uh, memories of that. So we can tend to, and this is what I just suggest you kind of look at today, is how might you not be able to do a full in and out breath? How do you hold your breath? How do you... um, uh, limit your breath. And there's an intelligence to this too, because um, for many of us, we are in this um, situation where we, we need the breath in order to calm, to ease. It's, there's so much biology about 
how breathing is essential to be able to regulate ourselves and to um, and and to create a healthy body, and yet um, what we've done is is we have held the breath so that we don't have to feel the pain and suffering. So we might have a strong emotion coming up like grief or like rage and we hold the breath to, to, to hold it in. And we do it here probably even maybe even more so because it's kind of messy <laughs> when, when you start to really let that stuff out. So, um, and you know, we also have a culture, I was talking about the nervous system of capitalism, you know, we can't catch our breath, right? It's like, there's too much to do. So we're in that kind of chronic overstimulation. So here's what the Buddha says um, around this calming. And um, I think this is what I'm just encouraging us to practice with today and to keep... um, looking at how we might create an internal mind and body that can uh, start to calm and soothe and allow us to breathe in more deeply and and settle. So the Buddha says, uh, breathing in long, I'm changing he to they, so it feels a little more inviting. Breathing in long, they discern, I am breathing in long. Or breathing out long, they discern, I am breathing out long. Or breathing in short, they discern, I am breathing in short. Or breathing out short, they discern, I am breathing out short. They train themselves, I will breathe in sensitive, in a sensitivity to the entire body. I will breathe out, sensitive to the entire body. They train themselves, I will breathe in calming bodily fabrication. Train themselves, I will breathe out calming body, bodily fabrication. And um, so there's two things that we're doing. Uh, we're moving, we're bringing this object of awareness and, and gathering the mind and, no, and noticing what uh, we're doing. This is this mindfulness piece, you know, I'm noticing, mindful of what I'm doing. Shallow breath, notice shallow breath, deep breath, deep breath breathing into the whole body. And then um, what hopefully happens is we um, do begin to calm down as we do this in periods of zazen. And the, what might actually happen is we move from this dualistic breathing, eye and the breath, to just this, the body breathing, breathing, breathing. And then what tends to happen, so there's a kind of a rhythm and a focus, so the discerning and the gathering. And then what happens, this breath which connects us to our body and connects us to everything. And I just want to say one other thing. So important when we're practicing whatever we're practicing with to do it with gentleness. So even our breathing, what we do is we take the kind of habitual way we move through our lives, which is often a kind of assertiveness of our own will and like we're, we're making something happen and we bring that even to the experience of breath. So watch out for that today. How might I be over-efforting so that there's this kind of subtle striving in the breathing, you know, a little extra. And that extra can cause a lot of dis-ease and exhaustion. So sometimes we're really tired at the end of a zazen period because we're over-efforting. We're kind of like, have a little... Um, violence, a little bit too much assertion. So we need effort to bring back, and then we breathe. 
And then this is the thing that I, I, I wanted to um, bring up, which is, and you all know this from sitting, is that we calm the breath, we, we calm the body a little bit, we start to settle, and then what happens? The fruits come up, right? So all of a sudden we're like, I got this, I'm feeling better, and then it's, it's, um, it's like the metabolizing time. <laughs> you know? All of a sudden we're distracted with thoughts, we're uncomfortable, our body gets tight, we think about something that's happened to us and we can't, we can't be there anymore. So uh, I, I think um, we want to just keep noticing that this is, a, this is like a, uh, a continual process for the rest of our lives, you know? And, uh, and I'm saying this for myself as much as anybody else because I am amazingly humbled about how the... Um, habit patterns, the, um, the fruits come up and I'm, I'm, I'm taken away. And, and it's not as if, a, it's not because it's a failure of my practice, it's just because that's what is. And part of the ease that we want to find in practicing is just to stop analyzing or evaluating your practice or evaluating what's happening. It is no problem that rage comes up. It is no problem for us to feel rage. There's no problem for us to feel um, irritable. There's no problem. If we meet each of those things and discern clearly that this is a result of many causes and conditions that I don't have to take personally, that I can attend to in this moment with my body, with my heart, with my breath, it ceases to be a problem. And I say that sounds, you know, part of me is like, this is so obvious. I don't think we can hear this enough. Because we will do that. We will take whatever is happening and we will make it a problem. And we will we'll block off the suffering. We'll block off the joy, which if we block off the suffering, we block off the joy. We distance ourselves from all of the gifts in the room, from the, from the enormity of um, this energetic experience. So following that instruction, I'd like you also, while you're focusing on the breath, if you feel the stability of that, you might see if you can start to open up to um, such a dramatic word, rapture is the next thing, which is a form of joy. But it's not the kind of joy that happens when you have, you know, when you see a big chocolate cake in front of you. <laughs> That's its own kind of joy. This is a, a joy that happens when we're in alignment with what's happening. We can start to taste something that feels really nice. It's subtle. So the Buddha says, they train themselves. I will breathe in sensitive to rapture, pitta, piti. I will breathe out sensitive to rapture. I will breathe in sensitive to pleasure. I will breathe out sensitive to pleasure. I will breathe out sensitive to mental fabrication. (laughs) I will breathe in calming mental fabrication. I will breathe out calming mental fabrication. So that's the discernment piece. So we start to discern. When we discern, we can watch the ways that we have created um, a lot of harm for ourselves, a lot of self-judgments, 
the way we try to control experience, the way we evaluate it is not good enough. I need a little more of this, a little less of that. Um, it's not meeting my expectations. I feel myself wanting to collapse or tighten against what's happening. So these are, uh, so uh, if we can just um, notice if we're over-efforting or under-efforting. And today I wanted us to practice doing a lying down meditation, which we'll do later. Because, you know, I, as I sit here and I'm facing out, I notice a lot of people suffer in their bodies, you know, and I have my own suffering in my body now. And so how do we approach this practice where we don't hurt our bodies or impose our will on our bodies? And that takes us being able to come from the body's point of view, not from the mind's point of view. So again, this is very subtle. How do I, in this moment, notice how I might more deeply relax into this posture? What do I need to do? Um, how, do I, how do I calm myself enough? How do I create enough ease in my body that I can stay calm and concentrated? Because if we're calm and we feel joy, we can go into deeper concentration. We go into deeper concentration, we can see more clearly um, and have more insights about what's, what's happening. And we can be with more. So um, I wanted to uh, also add that besides breath, and you know, for people who have had traumas, it's interesting. There's a beautiful book called Trauma-Sensitive Mindfulness. Um, and some people have had traumas related to breathing. And so the breath is not a safe place for them to go. So we have to really listen and be attentive to what we need in order not to um, overly activate ourselves and re-traumatize ourselves in this kind of space. Uh, so, and, and nobody, but you can really know that or feel that or sense that. So there are other ways to bring um, calm and joy to our nervous system. I just want to mention these. And, and, you know, we think about, like, pleasure as something that either we, 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 we make it happen, you know, by, like, going on vacation or whatever. But um, we can actually just, um, we can actually uh, decide that we're going to take up pleasure as a practice. We can take up joy as a practice. And it's, it's an interesting little nuanced thing because um, Darlene Cohen, my old teacher, my first teacher, she said, you know, who had significant arthritis and had a lot of pain in her body, she said, I can't just um, wait for pleasure to happen. I have to actually, I have to look for it. <laughs> I have to cultivate a disinterested pursuit of pleasure, she said. <clears throat> and this is a beautiful way of not getting that grasping mind going, that I'm going to look, and in this moment, What's pleasurable in my body and mind? Where can I find, even in the midst of tremendous pain, a feeling of the cool air, a feeling of appreciation for things that I have? Um, how do I find you know, the really tasting this food that is being cooked for us? Where do I find those little moments of pleasure? And even you know, if we are able to open up to our suffering, there's, the pleasure is right there with, with that opening up that most of the, the, the dis-ease and the lack of, and, and, the, and the 
is in the resistance, a lot of the pain's in the resistance. So we might have, for example, a lot of grief right here, and then we're blocking it, and we're, now we're in this kind of cauldron. And hopefully we sit and sit, and we offer our bodies to relax, and then maybe we start to feel the grief. We're like, oh, shit. <laughs> ah, all right, uh, you know, there's enough stability, I'm opening. You open, tears come up, energy comes up, pain comes up, and then on the other side of that, or even in the midst of that, there's pleasure. There's pleasure in that beautiful sacred grieving. There's pleasure in not resisting. And some of the ways to help support that, we had to talk about uh, generosity practices. How can we be generous with ourselves and others? That creates the condition for calm and ease. Forgiveness practice. Loving kindness practice. I am going to be kind to everything that's arising. Falling into our own arms, as one person puts it. Um, Later we're going to do, during a period of zazen, a gratitude practice offer. And the last thing I would say is um, there's something uh, about connecting with these wholesome collective energies. So can we imagine and feel into all of the beings throughout space and time who have got us to this moment and who are here with us, supporting us? Mothers, grandmothers, aunts, in all sorts of forms. Fathers, grandfathers, cousins, mentors, our children. And um, from this, so the po- what the possibility is for all this, and I don't think it's something far away, but it can happen in a moment if we're here and we pay attention, is that um, if we do this, the, the kind of dualism between pleasure and not pleasure or um, wholesome and not wholesome, they kind of all are held together within the body. And we can... Um, we can sit with all of that. And then we don't have to be reactive to um, situations in the world. We can have this capacity to hold um, the support of the earth at the same time we're holding the pain of what we've done to this earth. And we actually need to hold both of them. If we only hold one or the other, we're out of balance and we can't respond appropriately. So we're really talking about how do we step out of division and that, again, it's our moral duty to um, create um, a sense of ease and a, and a joy and, and happiness in order to um, do, our, do our, our social justice work. And that if we can be with all of that, we can more easily, without defensiveness, offer, offer what we're doing um, in, a, in a wish to for, for us to be forgiven and to forgive our many harms as a sort of medicine for those before us and in front of us and after us. And it's also a gift for those who have really um, been doing a lot to help support, like you could say, Uh, love being kept alive. So when we're doing kinhin, 
See if you can just let walking be walking, right? This is the, let just sitting be sitting. Watch and listen and um, use that instruction from the Buddha of those deep breaths to feel and see if it's a shallow breath. It's so be it, it's a shallow breath. Maybe you feel a shallowness and you wonder what's below. <laughs> and you're patient with it. You don't force anything. We're not forcing this stuff to come up. It will come up. You don't have to worry. <laughs> we're creating the welcoming atmosphere and we're creating a, um, a body that can, um, can welcome it. And you know what? It will close back up again. Everything changes and passes, you know? But what we're trying to do is um, move from just states, you know, like a state of openness to a kind of a trait of openness, you know? That we might have a a moment of pleasure to um, being uh, prone to the grace of pleasure. I don't think we have to renounce pleasure. We need pleasure. It's part of our moral responsibility to, to have pleasure. But it's a, it's a kind of um, different way of thinking about what pleasure is than we normally do. So stu- I would study that. Yeah? What actually gives pleasure to your body, to your heart, to your mind, versus what we think does. You know? And maybe when does pleasure turn to displeasure? You know? The fifth cookie, perhaps. <laughs> hanging on to a righteous anger. You know, it could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what time? Okay. Okay. So um, thank you. I, I um, hope you can find some pleasure and ease and calming. And um, I actually hope you also get some visitations from karma, karmic visitations, because that's really where we get these muscles nice and developed. So it's not... It's, I, I wish you some struggle, too. Because <laughs> then we'll really know uh, how to practice with ease. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.